Hi everyone, welcome back to See the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and thank you so much for taking some time out to listen today. If you're new here, just to tell you a little bit about myself and the podcast, um, I do have a rare invisible illness that's chronic. From day to day, even hour to hour, how I'm feeling can change. So I can go from someone who's able to you know, maybe get up and cook a small meal, but then an hour later, I can barely stand. So you know, especially with the past year and a half, there's been more challenges that everybody has to face. And then when you already have you know, obstacles that you need to get through every day, it just had, adds a whole new layer to that. And I did start to receive some negativity from people throughout, you know, especially the, the early months of the pandemic. And it really affected me for a while. I was very hurt. I was angry. And then I said, you know what, if someone said this to me, and basically what the person had said is, you know, your life is not worth anything compared to you know, what he was going through with, you know, cut hours and everything or working from home. And, you know, I always try to be very empathetic in the fact that I'm not in their position. So, you know, I don't know exactly what their circumstances were, but to actually say that someone's life isn't worth that is a very hurtful thing to say. So I decided to take that negative energy and turn it into something positive. And I found that you know, actually doing these podcasts helps me. It's kind of therapeutic in a way. So I just hope that somebody gets something out of these episodes, whether it's just realizing there's someone else out there who is going through similar issues, as well as you know maybe learn a little bit of information about how to handle certain things, um, you know, depending exactly on what you know, your situation is as well. Now, before I begin, I do want to say that I am in no way a medical insurance or legal expert. If you do have any questions in those areas, please make sure that you reach out to someone in those respective fields. This podcast is not meant to be in any way medical advice. Now, what we've been doing is we've started to look at healthcare disparities, um, you know, within the United States and looking along socioeconomic and racial lines. So, what I'm trying to do is take a look at a certain section and try to make the episodes a little shorter because I know some people may like to um, listen to them on their commute or just while they're, you know, doing other things. So. Instead of having multiple long, long episodes, I'll try to keep them around 30 to 45 minutes. And if I need two episodes on one topic, then so be it. It's a very important topic that we're covering. So I want to make sure it gets the, you know, the attention that it deserves. Um, and I will be putting out a new episode every two weeks. Now, last week, I wanted to start looking at the, you know, some of the biggest obstacles in the disparities. But what I actually ended up coming across is that a lot of people use the terms disparity and inequities you know, kind of interchangeably. And myself, I'm even 
using it in the title of this series, but I read an article where it actually broke down what, um, you know, what the terms actually mean. And in this article, it explained that a disparity is something that you can't really control. For example, um, someone in their 80s is more likely to develop or die from heart disease than someone in an age range from five to 10 years old. That's a disparity that you know you cannot change. Um, if genetically you're predisposed to something, whereas your neighbor is not, that's a disparity and that's something that cannot be changed. Inequities though are obstacles that are in the way of achieving equity in you know, medical care. And a lot of times these do come through you know, systemic problems within the healthcare system. So, you know, there is actually a difference. So I will try my best to, you know, keep, um, you know, keep the new wording because I'll also change the title in upcoming episodes so that, you know, there is a better understanding and looking at the words, actually, yes, inequity is, is probably the better term to use for that. So some of the biggest obstacles um, to healthcare equity are income, bias, mistrust, education about healthcare, and transportation. Okay, I'm going to start out with probably the simplest one first, um, and even that has a lot of different la layers. And that's with transportation. And if you've listened to the previous episode, you may have heard me say actually quite a few times that, you know, we may not think about it as much, but, you know, having limited transportation can make it very difficult to achieve the healthcare um, and maintenance that you need. I've actually lived in quite a few different places that have different transportation systems. Where I currently live, it's very, very rural. Um, we can't really have a bus system. We do have it, but the bus stops are so far apart from each other, it's just very difficult um, you know, to use the bus system. Now, I did live in the largest city in the state where I live. They did have a bus system, and I could use that pretty efficiently to get to and from work. And then kind of in the middle, I lived in a suburb of New York when I went to college, and you know, even though it was a suburb and it was smaller compared to, say, you know, some of the other suburbs of New York City, it still had you know very quick transportation. Things were very well timed. You could go pretty much anywhere by using public transportation. But even beyond those factors, just how do I get from point A to point B? There's other things that we have to consider, such as, is there extra assistance that's needed for the visit? So if someone um, needs the help of a mobility device, anything from you know, a cane, walker, wheelchair, how accessible is any type of transportation to them? So you know, depending on where you live, it's something that, you know, that we were going to have to research. I know that recently, um, and I have said in previous episodes, my father's going through a couple medical issues right now, and he's 87, and he's actually just kind of, according to the doctor, sailing through them. 
but in this upcoming week, he has five doctor's appointments and one in the same day. And while we've been able as a family to get him to, to and from most appointments, this upcoming week is just very, very packed full of appointments. And, you know, as well as some of the people in my family have other health procedures that they're having done in one case um, or other doctor's appointments, you know, it's, I finally reached out to see, is there any way that we could get him transportation in case there is a way nobody can actually, you know, be able to take him. So I'm waiting back for a response on that. Um, but, you know, it's something that I think we have to look at, into on the individual state, county, or city, depending on how social services can run in your area. But it's something that if it's not available to people on a continual basis, then the community itself as a whole is going to suffer because the individuals within a community are not getting the health care that they need. So transportation is a huge issue. Um, and then beyond mobility devices, there's also, you know, let's say if you're taking your child to a doctor and maybe you have another child too, that's two children you're going to need to try to take. Um, I know that you know, that's done every day, but if you have a sick child, you may not necessarily want to bring them out into, say, a bus or anything like that, um, or anywhere where they might pick up some more germs. So, you know, I think it's important that each, you know, district, each area looks at what the needs of that community are. What the needs are in my town may not necessarily be the same as the needs in another town, um, a town that's a couple of zip codes over, very similar in population, makeup, um, you know, size, things like that. However, my town has a hospital and a, like a satellite campus of that hospital. And that means a lot of the doctors who practice there have individual offices or centers in my town. So it's relatively easy to get to the um, appointments in my town. However, that's a similar, you know, person in that other town that's just a you know, few zip codes away. They're going to have a completely different experience in that. So, you know, that's why it has to be looked at individually. It's not something that's going to be a this works for everybody, this works for every area. It's knowing what the individuals of a community need. And I know I'm going to say community a lot, but it is because of the individuality of the circumstances that we really need to fair, um, narrow down a focus on the individual communities because, you know, just looking at my state, um, someone told me um, a few weeks ago that they're learning more about Delaware, which is where I live, and that there's a very distinct difference from the three counties that are in the state that the southern two counties are more um, agriculturally um, significant, that we kind of move at a little bit of a slower pace, whereas the northernmost county is much more busy. It's you know, hectic. It's, you know, where a lot of businesses base their headquarters. 
up in you know the Wilmington Newcastle area so even just looking at the second smallest state in the United States there's a lot of different needs that we need to look at now of course something that will play a role in probably everything in life is income you know unless you're in the very top tier of income levels income is always going to have an impact on your health care um, you know if you are at some of the highest levels you either have fantastic insurance or if the insurance itself is not fantastic you can easily afford any of the coinsurance, the deductibles or whatever you need to meet where a vast majority of the population falls into an area where they have health insurance many times through an employer but now also through um, the you know the government um, affordable care act so you have those if they have the insurance through the employer then you know a lot of times the employer will pay a higher percentage for the employee but if they add their children their spouse you know the premium increases significantly and a lot of these insurances have a very high deductible um, then possibly even a co-insurance up to a certain amount after the deductible is met so you know for example I've recently seen um, with something my husband was looking at that it would be $200 weekly for insurance and there would be a $5,000 deductible and that was for four people and comparatively overall to, to some plans it's not incredibly bad um, as compared to um, some others that I've seen but one of the biggest um, issues on this one is if it was the employee and just two children then it was a hundred dollars a week so to add a spouse it jumped up another hundred dollars so this will kind of play into the education portion of inequities as far as you know what's available to different people um, because in this whole process I actually did learn something that you know I've probably been overpaying in certain areas for you know quite a few years and that's very you know it's it's very upsetting and you know I've been to different places to try to ask for assistance places that you know dealt with insurance with payments with health care and nobody had pointed and this out to me until this year so um, and what this came down to and I'm only saying what was told to me is I thought the the regulations for the Affordable Care Act where it asked if you were able to get insurance through an employer my husband didn't have an insurance he didn't have an option for insurance and I thought that meant that even though it wasn't through his employer he would have to be on my plan but someone in HR at a company advised me no you know reach out to the marketplace the insurance marketplace and discuss options with them because that may not necessarily be the case so you know again this is just what was told to me through someone in an HR department so you know if you are looking at it the same way as I had been then you know there might be an option to change or to look at that um, so again income plays into how 
affordable healthcare can be um, in a way that sounds almost like it's common sense, but at the same time, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that way that someone, you know, who makes a ton of money deserves priority and better health care than someone who is out there working every day or someone who has, you know, a condition that they have to face every day. You know, just nobody should have to take a look at a medical bill and wonder how they're going to be able to pay it or have to make a choice between paying a medical bill or paying your electric. Um, so income has you know, some of the biggest factors in, in healthcare. Um, also, income does play into transportation as well, um, because if, you know, it, if you're having to travel a long way away to get to, say, a specialist, then, you know, if you have your own transportation or if you're able, you know, if it's even further to be able to fly out or to go out and stay at a certain area while you're seeing the specialist, you know, say, stay at a hotel or something, not everybody has those capabilities. I know that I wouldn't be able to do that if my doctor, you know, say, referred me to someone and I had to go out to see them. There's no way that I could afford those bills. So, you know, the factors kind of all play together. Um, also about what I was just talking about with the insurance and not being aware of everything is education about healthcare is a big topic. So, Everything is kind of playing together into that. So I think what we really need to do is take that whole income factor out. You know, when hopefully within you know, my lifetime, insurance will be structured in such a way that nobody has to worry about sacrificing other things in order to make sure that their health needs are met. Um, and maybe even a way that it's not even considered insurance. It's a system where you get what you need. And I know I'm probably being a little naive, but a lot has changed in just the past, you know, 10 or 15 years. So I do hold hope that possibly some positive changes can come about and that the whole income inequity in our healthcare system will go away. I know. Again, naive, but I'm hoping. Um, I did mention about education about healthcare. I think there's a lot of things that doctors can sometimes assume that people know. And it, it's not always the case. So I think we as patients, as you know, those who are receiving the healthcare, we need to have more faith in ourselves. We have to be able to have the, you know, the assertiveness to ask about certain things if we're not sure what they mean. I mean, we each have our own, um, we each have our own areas of expertise, and most of it, most of us are not doctors or nurses. So, if they say something, we may need further explanation on it, as, you know, it's something beyond our purview. But a lot of us don't necessarily want to, quote unquote, cause waves or even just feel like or have the doctor feel like we don't understand what's going on. So we just don't ask questions. I think it's something that we need to 
tell ourselves that it's okay to do, it's okay to ask questions, and it's not just okay, it's a necessity. So within the education about healthcare, there are so many different things that we could possibly go over, but education in one way is getting that education you need from your doctors. Um, and, you know, sometimes we take it for granted if we go to a doctor and they say, okay, well, this is the condition or this is the medicine um, that we need to take. Well, not everybody could possibly go online and, you know, read about the medicine, see if there's any assistance programs for, you know, um, for co-pays or anything like that. So... I apologize. I'm just hearing some construction going on in the background. So if you're you're hearing that, I'm sorry. It's just this is the only time I'm going to get to record. Um, but I do apologize if you're starting to hear that. Um, so not everybody can just you know hop on the internet and go to a site and find more information or reach out for assistance and copays because. Not everybody has a computer or smartphone. I know that many of us may think that it's just standard, but it's not. There are some people, you know, my father, for one, doesn't use a computer, doesn't use a smartphone. He still has a flip phone that he likes to use for a cell phone. So he's not someone who would go online and check information about a condition or a medication. Um, some people live in an area where they don't have good consistent internet or if they use their mobile device, they may not have good consistent mobile connection. And then there's also the affordability of, you know, being able to afford both internet, um, the devices used and things like that. So just the accessibility of information can be limited. I personally think something like a system of you know, healthcare phone calls would be very beneficial as well. You know, so either before or after an appointment to be able to speak with, you know, maybe a nurse or someone who specializes in that field to better understand an issue if it's very complicated, especially if it might involve multiple different, um, you know, medications or steps. And I actually, with my father, took him to a doctor um, about a month ago, and he did have to have a procedure done. But the doctor had it set up so that, you know, he would meet with the patient. He went through the, the charts, everything like that. But then um, after there, you know, was the initial diagnosis, what needed to be done, he actually has a nurse that will come in, spend time talking to you, explaining everything, you know, on a more one-on-one -on -one level, you know, not talking about, you know, words that you have no idea what they mean, which, you know, that would have happened, I know, if, you know, someone hadn't been there to say, explain it to us where we could ask questions. And then that same person also did all the follow-up with us calling a few days before the procedure, verifying information, and then also, um, you know, noting everything so that, you know, we felt comfortable. So there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction. And this is the first time I'd ever seen something like that. So it was really, 
rather beneficial um, to have this. And it would be great if that was something that was offered everywhere. Um, I now, now I've just, you know, seen this within the past month. I don't know if it's something that, you know, is kind of growing, but, you know, I think it would just be a great benefit because, you know, I think a lot of us feel like we don't spend enough time with our doctors, you know, getting the information we need. And if there's someone who is specially trained, say, in a certain subject, they can kind of take over and be able to assist us further and be that contact for us. Now, you know, going into um, another subject is bias. While we would love to think that doctors don't have any forms of biases, they do. Um, not all. You know, some are very open about, you know, um, basically understanding different people have different needs. And so when it comes to biases, it's it can be um, based on race, religion, gender identity, sexual preferences, and even to some degree, appearance. Um, they might have also thoughts about someone's education level. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of cases where you know, if someone comes in and, you know, they're not really as sure about, you know, some things or they're not understanding things as quickly, that there can be a bias there. If you have someone, and again, should not be this way, that is overweight. I'm overweight. And some of it actually is fluid. I was in a hospital once where my legs were wrapped up in bandages while I was, um, under anesthesia because they said it would be so painful and given IV fluid pills. And for a few days straight, they were taking about seven liters of fluid out of me. I lost over a hundred pounds in just fluid. It's not always obvious then when you look at me that some things are not fat. And I admit I do have fat on me. That's not a question, but in some ways it looks disproportionate or I have fluid buildup and then it looks bigger. Having you know that experience in the hospital, that did help because eventually I did have some of the damaged tissue removed. Um, it really wasn't a procedure that many people would do, but it was something that I literally needed or I wouldn't be able to walk. Um, but I do retain a lot of fluid everywhere mostly in my legs, but it's everywhere. And, you know, people can take a look at me and think, oh, she's lazy. She's, um, you know, all she eats is junk food or she has no self-control. It's not necessarily the case. Uh, you also have to look at the fact that because at times I can barely walk, I can't really exercise. This is where income can come in too. I spoke about it briefly before that, you know, it's cost a lot to eat healthy. It's not something that you can just go in and, you know, buy very healthy food for, you know, $50. You're trying to feed a family on, you know, all organic, fresh vegetables, freshest meats, things like that. You're going to be looking at hundreds of dollars. 
And even though it's not something that is thought of a lot of times, it is something that's important in healthcare. But again, someone could look at someone coming in who is overweight and just put all of the the blame on that person when there could be other factors that go into it. Um, individual biases such as, you know, racial, um, gender identification, um, sexual preference. You know, hopefully doctors are open to that, you know, especially when it comes to the gender identity or sexual preferences. That should not play a role in how people are treated. And I do think that any doctors who you know, may have had any of those biases are, you know, slowly aging out of the system, you know, they're starting to retire, and there's a better education and understanding of most doctors um, in those areas. So there's still going to be, though, some bias in regards to that. Um, it's going to take a while for all of that to go away, but hopefully it's coming. Um, like I said, too, they might take a look at you know, whether or not you seem well-educated, if, you know, and I, I've unfortunately heard things said about people, they come in and say they don't have, you know, they don't have some teeth, that their teeth are missing or things like that, an idea that they don't take care of themselves. I mean, there's just so many things that you sometimes can overhear um, if you're waiting in a hospital or a waiting room, and it does sometimes come from those that are working there. It's, you know, kind of in the same lines of income. But when I did go at, um, and apply for assistance one time at, um, at a billing office, you know, I, I couldn't pay the bill. There was no way. Um, and, you know, I explained my situation. I explained what my deductible was, that I'd been in the hospital. And after going through all of that, she actually said it would be cheaper if you had died. Yeah, that's what she said. Now, this was quite a few years ago, but that is something that sticks with me and you can't get away from. You know, so when someone is looking at a person and making assumptions, whether it's, you know, they think that if they have you know, bad teeth or acne or something that they don't take care of themselves, I can unequivocally say that is not the case. You know, there are lots of people who you know, let's just say they, they do have acne. It's something that's systemic within them. And, you know, they may or may not be able to get the acne treatment that they need. Um, some medications, like actual medications, do impact your teeth. I'm on medications that do that. I went 30, like something like 38, 39 years, never having a cavity, never. And now within the past, six years, I've had probably six or eight. And it's because I've been told the medication that you're on, and actually two of them do have a profound effect on your teeth. So that's just something that I've heard comments made by medical professionals about that. So it runs a whole range. And I will probably within the next episode, because this is starting to go a little long, um, take a look at biases then based on 
socioeconomic and racial lines, um, and also the mistrust um, from some communities towards the healthcare system because of past abuses, and they were abuses. You know, I, looking back at the history, I understand why there's a mistrust there, but I don't think everybody knows. And until that's addressed, there's going to be a continued mistrust. So we need to overcome that. Um, but, you know, I want to give those two areas a little bit more time. So I'll stop here and we'll look at those um, in the next episode. And again, some of these are very interconnected when you take a look at things. So, you know, I will um, go ahead and with those, I want to get some numbers, like actually have some numbers um, in regards to, you know, comparisons along different socioeconomic groups, um, you know, racial lines, when we look at things like the healthcare coverage and other inequities that are there within the healthcare system. Now, speaking of numbers, though, something that I just want to reiterate that I know I've touched on before previously, and that's a lot of the numbers that I'm looking at are from years and years past. There's very few that are more current. And one thing that I was looking at, there were just article after article from 2013, 2007, even 2001 and 2002. You know, so some of the numbers that, you know, not only myself, but researchers are looking at can be 10 years old or more. And that doesn't reflect the changes in society. We are an ever-evolving, ever-changing society. And without access to certain facts, it seems like the health system is going to be staying two or three steps behind because we don't have the information as quickly as at least I feel we should. We have computers that, you know, things can be sent instantaneously as compared to maybe 25 years ago. I mean, I was there using computers 25 years ago that were very slow. They were on dial-up. This is a completely new world where we can get facts and figures very quickly and not having those available as quickly as possible is really holding us back too. It also takes away from the urgency of some things that need to be addressed by not having those figures. So, you know, just more to come on that. I'm very, very passionate about trying to get numbers out more quickly to address concerns more quickly so that by the time they're addressed, you know, the needs of that society or that community haven't changed so much that, you know, basically any steps would be, um, you know, basically either null or moot at that case, at that point. So um, I didn't really use a lot of resources here, um, just really one, because this was a lot of my observation that I've seen in dealing with insurance. Um, you know, knowing different people who've had different types of insurance plans, things like that. So there were a couple things I looked at, but, you know, again, a lot of this is just how I feel that we're not exactly being as quick to change as I think we should be and need to be. So I will be posting another episode in about two weeks. 
Um, you know, again, there, there are some things that I have going on with my health, unfortunately, where I've not been feeling as well, and then my father's health, but I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I get these out at the two weeks, um, you know, because that gives me time if I do need to gather numbers, that I have that time as well as not overextending some things, um, you know, where I might go into a flare-up or something like that. Any of my contact information is in the description of the podcast. Any sources that I did use will also be there. And if I found any articles, even outside of my sources, that I think might be, um, you know, kind of interesting to read, I will link them there as well. All right. I hope everybody has a great next couple of weeks until we talk to each other soon. Um, we talk to each other then. And thank you all for hanging in with me. Oh, and if you do listen to the podcast or look at the YouTube channel, please make sure that you like or subscribe. What that does, I found, is it helps other people find the podcast. If people have listened to it and voted it up or made comments, um, the algorithm that the podcast apps use will, you know, take those factors in and it you know, makes it kind of higher up for people to find. All right. So again, thanks everyone for sticking in with me and I will talk to you later.